This podcast is made possible by supporters like you. Mahalo. And by Atlas Insurance Agency, Hawaii's largest professional agency, helping Hawaii navigate insurance solutions since 1929. More at atlasinsurance.com. Aloha, my Kako. Welcome to a new episode of What School You Went, where we start every conversation with that question. I'm Ron Mizutani, and today we're talking about Hawaii's missing children. There are dozens of active missing children cases in Hawaii. Some of those cases have gone cold and continue to haunt local law enforcement. People are still asking, what happened to Peter Boy Kema? Many ask and continue to ask, where is Jizao Li? In February 1988, 12-year-old Jizao Li from Royal Elementary School was selling benefit chili tickets near Nuuanu Avenue and Kuakini Street when she mysteriously vanished. There were tips, there were composite sketches, possible getaway vehicles, even sightings of the 4'11", 75-pound girl with short hair and slightly crooked teeth. But Lee has never been found. I want to welcome Amanda Leonard to the program. Amanda is the coordinator, the chief of the State Department of Attorney General's Missing Child Center of Hawaii, and they do incredible work. Amanda, welcome to PBS Hawaii. Aloha, Ron. Thank you so much for having me. So good to have you here. Uh, we're going to get into this in a bit. But I have to ask, what school you went? I graduated from Kalaheo High School in Kailua. Kalaheo, the mus- mighty Mustangs. Go Mustangs, Go yes. Mustangs. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you, you humoring me with that. Um, you know, when it comes to our schools and, and how we connect, it's very important. Uh, but it's also very important that connection continues through the community. And that's Absolutely. what this really, this subject is about. It mm-hmm. is about community. Yes. Uh, I, I, I know my limitations on what I can ask you because you are, a lot of these cases are still active. And, Correct. And investigations continue. But I, I guess I want to start with what is a missing, how do you define a missing child? What, when, is, when does a runaway become a missing child? So our office defines missing child uh, consistent with the federal definition, which is any person uh, age 17 or younger whose whereabouts are unknown to their parent or legal guardian. Now that would encompass um, lost children, abducted children, as well as endangered runaways. If the legal guardian or parent does not know where that child is, we classify it as a missing child and therefore we can provide our services. So does HPD trigger that or does the, the parents or the family, when, when does it, and because we have also the Miley alert, which mm-hmm. is uh, our version of the Amber alert, Correct. when is that prompted as well? Well, to get back to your first question, um, all the four county police departments have different classifications for missing children or runaway. It, they're each unique in that respect. Uh, they have different policies. So. In order for us to be able to serve all four counties, which we do, we use that federal definition and we can uh, you know, assist on any types of those cases. Now the Miley Amber Alert is a program for the state and the police departments can activate one if certain criteria are met. I'll go through the criteria, there's three criteria. The child has to be 17 years or younger, There has to be evidence that the child was abducted and is in life-threatening danger. And finally, there has to be sufficient information on the child, the suspect, and or the suspect's vehicle. 
Because you hear that a lot. I mean, on social media, even before social media, there's a lot of, I would say, criticism from community sometimes. Why is why wasn't this Miley alert prompted or triggered? Mm-hmm. Why is this case different? Um, there is there's pretty stiff criteria before that can be. Um, really, and, and what what is Miley alert? How how does that get out to community? Right. So I I do know what you're talking about. Um, but ultimately, we defer to the police departments who have the information on whether the criteria is met, and that information uh, may not be. Uh, in the public, it's confidential. So we defer to them on whether they can issue an alert. We respect what they do, and we assist them um, when that rolls out. And part of our job at Missing Child Centers, we do the statewide coordination of Miley Amber Alert. We provide the police with trainings, um, and we also work with the FBI on child abduction response. Um, so Miley Amber Alert is is a, basically it's a public notification. Uh, system where once that alert is made, it can go to the media, uh, it can go uh, you know, across your TV, as you see in those weather alerts, but the primary tool is the wireless emergency alert, and you would get that on your cell phone, uh, much like you would get for a weather alert, you know, um, you know, if, there, if you need to evacuate. Um, it will show up that there is a missing child, and it's for the public to be looking for the child. So that hasn't really been prompted often. I, I, I mean, I can't even remember the last time we had a Miley alert. We had a Miley Amber alert in 2005 um, in Nu'uwanu when a uh, vehicle was stolen and there was a very young uh, baby in right. the back seat. And the Miley Amber alert was activated and it went to a, I believe it was a delivery driver who heard the alert and found the vehicle with the baby safe inside. So. The, the moral of that story is it works, and mm-hmm. it's really for the public to be the eyes and ears of law enforcement. And you know, all across the country, we hear success stories about uh, you know everyday citizens recovering abducted or missing children uh, due to these alerts. So they're extremely valuable. Again, reference to community, right? A community uh, responding to and anything with Keiki, people respond mm-hmm. to. Absolutely. Um, again, I'm going to be very careful how I ask this because yeah. I understand my limitations. But last year, obviously, a massive community search uh, for six-year-old Isabella Kalua of Waimanalo, mm-hmm. who went missing. Uh, event, eventually, uh, Isaac and Lehua Kalua, uh, who adopted Isabella, uh, and her and her actually two of the siblings were foster parents and eventually were indicted. Um, I know you can't say much about that case, mm-hmm. but coming together as a community and being uh, responsive, just your thoughts on how that came to fruition and really the emotional, uh, gosh, it can be exhausting on not only law enforcement, but obviously a community at large. Yes, Ron, these tragedies are pretty rare in the state, and we're very lucky in that respect. Um, it was a, a horrific tragedy, I will say that. Uh, while I can't discuss the specifics, I can tell you that when I saw the community coming together in those searches, I was just so impressed and inspired. And really, particularly the Waimanalo community coming together, and it was a grassroots effort uh, to join those search parties and really support law enforcement in that regard. That was uh, truly incredible. Um, and. You know, like you said, Hawaii, we are all about our keiki. We're all about coming together in, in crisis. 
And I think that was an example that we saw, um, you know, the community, we don't just care about our own children, mm -hmm. we care about other people's children. And um, I mean, people came from, from across the, the island to, to join the search. It wasn't just the Wamanala community. Yeah. You saw that. Uh, it was, a, I think, across the whole state. Right. Um, you know, these, these tragedies touch the hearts of everybody. And, you know, we, we couldn't imagine as parents that this could happen to our child. And, um, you know, having everyone come together and support the search efforts and support uh, what the police uh, were doing tireless, tirelessly looking for her um, was, was truly inspiring and um, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I, again, I'll, I'll stop there with that case because mm -hmm. I know it's still ongoing. Uh, what, what, I, what I do want to ask you though is, so it's rare, these types of yes. cases where it gets to this level of just horrific um, outcome, it's rare. Uh, as, as a stranger abductions, but parent abductions are high here in the islands, are they not? I would say they are high. Um, so before I was the coordinator of Missing Child Center, I was a family law attorney. And a lot of my cases uh, touched upon parental abductions. And a lot of folks, uh, you know, believe that, you know, a child that's taken by a parent might not be in danger. But that's actually not true. You know, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has reported that 60% of all Amber Alerts across the country were for uh, dangerous parental abductions. And the research shows that, you know, if a child is murdered, they will most likely be murdered by a parent uh, or a caregiver, which is truly um, uh, just awful, awful. And so parental abductions, we take that very seriously. Uh, we have to assess the risk to that child by looking at the background of the, the parent abductor, whether they have a criminal background, you know, history of violence. Um, it can be part of a domestic violence situation where somebody feels that they got a bad decision in family court and takes matters into their own hand and uh, leaves with the children and can justify their actions. So a lot of our work is uh, tracking down these parents who take the children out of the state as well as out of the country. And it can be very, very difficult to get those children back, especially when they leave the country. Where Hawaii is situated, uh, it's common for them to go to you know, Japan or to the US mainland or Europe. So um, I have to really uh, use my skills as a family law attorney, and it can involve international law as well. So uh, we take those very seriously, and they happen quite often, unfortunately. Yeah, these are the cases that we don't hear about in the media. I mean, right. I can only imagine how many cases that you folks right. receive every day. If Absolutely, not every, yeah. and, it, um, and it's a crime. It it's, a, it's a crime um, if, if it's an intentional abduction uh, in breach of court orders. So we, we take it very seriously uh, when, you know, the, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to do to a parent to take your children away. Uh, regardless of if it's a parent, another parent or not. Okay, this is just a transition from that okay. uh, because I don't want to imply anything, but there's mm -hmm. another case. In fact, we just recently saw it in, in, in headlines again uh, involving a young 18-month uh, Kaitan Ancog um, involving parents. Uh, a, a, another really horrific case that we still don't know where she is. Uh, how can, you know... Cold, I won't call that a cold case because that's definitely still top of mind, but cold cases can lead, like a, like a Zhizhou Li, 
relationships change. People change. Um, I know we saw composite drawings of Zizali. I mean, I remember yes. the picture that was posted everywhere. Yes. Uh, and then later on, mom would always come talk to the media. Yeah. Of this is what she would look like mm -hmm. today. How important are relationships changing that can help law enforcement? Well, you know, I'll, I can say this. Um, our office will never close a case uh, until that child is found. And so if you do see posters of kids that you've mentioned, um, it's because they have not been located. And the main thing is to keep these cases alive, to keep the public engaged, because you never know. I mean, we hear stories all on, across you know, the country that children who were abducted and you know, believed to be deceased um, are actually alive or they didn't know they were abducted. I'm not saying that that's the case here, but we want to make sure that even if it's a 1% chance that we have their f posters up, that we leverage the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children who does those age progression photos you mentioned. Which are amazing. They're yeah. amazing and they've resolved cold cases all across the country. They have stories on their website that, you know, at missingkids.org that are just unbelievable. And so it's so important to keep the, the photos out there, to keep the, the case going, and really just to make sure that we are serving the families and ensuring that justice may one day be served for those kids and their families. You know, we talk about how this has been an ongoing issue for years, not only in Hawaii, it's not unique to Hawaii, obviously. Technology has changed, mm -hmm. um, as have uh, opportunities for law enforcement to to react quicker, um, and, and time is of the essence if a child goes missing. If it's a runaway, it's a different story sometimes, but even addressing the runaway issue can, el not eliminate, can deter a crime from happening. Runaways often lead to, Absolutely. to crime. Maybe we can start there with the Sh runaway aspect. Sure. How important it is to address that? Well, for endangered runaways, I always tell uh, the, the public that there is no waiting period to report your child missing. Um, 17-year-old, 16-year-old, 15-year-old, those are still legally children. And you can file a runaway report as soon as you don't know where they are. And that will initiate the process for the police to respond. And then they can also intake with our office, which is all free services to families across the whole state of Hawaii. And we can assist law enforcement to locate the runaway uh, through our posters, through other uh, methods that we use. And we really try to amplify and supplement what law enforcement is doing to locate those kids. Um, there's nothing stopping a runaway from being abducted. And we wouldn't even know about it. Mm -hmm. Because what, you ha what the public needs to understand is they're not just, you know, quote unquote brats that don't want to be at home. They are unsupervised children. And regardless of their motive for leaving home, they are now in a vulnerable position where anything can happen to them. They could be sexually assaulted, physically assaulted. Uh, they could be sex trafficked. There's, they could be hit by a car. We've seen all of these things happen to these kids, regardless of that child's motive for leaving the home or the shelter. And so endangered runaways, this is a big problem for the state. I think our whole community has acknowledged that in some way. And because child abductions are so rare, that allows our office to focus so much time and energy on the endangered runaways. 
Um, and they're only called runaways because it legally it's a status offense here in, in the state. But we look at that, we look at them differently. We look at them as either victims or potential victims. What are they running away from? What are they running to? Those are all things that uh, we need to address and respond appropriately. Um, yeah. The vulnerability that you spoke of, uh, I, I imagine during the pandemic with technology, predators are out there um, and in fact prey upon our children yeah. who have that uh, access to technology, but uh, also um, mm -hmm. something that we can turn into a crime with, with a runaway, with somebody who's Correct. Ac accessible. Correct. And that's one of the things that we do when the runaway report is filed, and we get it, that information pretty quickly, is we've, we try to look about at the circumstances of why they left the home. And if they were you know, talking to some unknown uh, person on, online, the possibility that they were lured out of their house and then it looked like a runaway, but it really wasn't, it was an abduction, that has to be established because the classification of these cases determines the response. Right. Um, and you mentioned time is of the essence. Research shows that an abducted child has about three hours to live. Um, and so that means law enforcement and us only have about three hours to save that child's life. And that is usually because if the child is abducted, it will almost always be for a sexual purpose, and then it can turn into a homicide. That is what we've seen across the country. You know, I attend all of these Amber Alert conferences on the mainland uh, representing our state, and I hear the stories. They bring out the parents who tell us specifically what happened to their child, where it looked like a runaway, but it was, it was not. They were lured online. Um, those risks to children did not exist previously until the boom of technology. That is why we have to be on our game. We have to be asking questions, but we need the parent to be aware of what's happening in their home in order to provide that information to us. So a parent listening to this right now, uh, what is your, and if they have a child who has expressed, you know, or has run away already, has a history of run, running away, or has expressed a desire to not be around family or mm -hmm. behavior changes, what, what is your early uh, intervention? Right, so I would tell those parents um, who've had children that ran away, first, I'm so sorry this is happening in your, uh, in your lives. It's a very traumatic experience uh, to have a child leave home and not know where your child is. Um, but secondly, it's so important to report it to police because if we don't know, if the, the child is not reported to police, we don't know that child exists. And me at the Missing Child Center, I can't know your child exists and is running away, you know, five times, 10 times, 20 times, unless you're filing those reports. And then I will be monitoring it and making sure that we're doing everything to um, provide the family with the support they need, um, refer them to services as needed, and really get that wrap around, uh, around that child because there are services available to endangered runaways. There are services available to uh, victims of sex assault or sex trafficking, and it's so important to seek that out, to know about it. You know, I think that there's a lot of um, shame and taboo, uh, and, and that's, we understand that, but safety is our priority, mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that not only are we protecting that uh, your child, but we're also 
making sure that any offenders are held accountable for their actions because, you know, folk, uh, bad guys or gals that prey on children reoffend. They don't just usually stop at one. Uh, we have to make sure that we are doing everything we can to push back on that and protect all of the children in this state. I want our, our podcast listeners to understand a little deeper of, of what your you know, army of two in your mm -hmm. office do. You know, last year, you and Assistant Coordinator uh, Kaleilani uh, Grant were honored by the U.S. Department of Justice Child Protection Award for your efforts uh, with was called Operation Shine the Light. Yes. And that resulted in recovery of five endangered runaway teens from foster care system. So thank you for that. Uh, you don't do it for the accolades, but... I'm still surprised. Yeah. When you, before you mentioned it, I kind of I didn't even think about it. I'm still so surprised um, that we were given um, the national award, the National Child Protection Award, which is the highest honor in our field uh, from the U.S. Department of Justice. And we were uh, selected by uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Um, you know, we don't think that people are looking at what we're doing over here. You know, Kalei and I, going back to what school you went, we're both local girls. Uh, we grew up here. We have a vested interest in the kids in our state and our community. And we just, we just do it, and we don't think anyone's watching. And it was a huge shock and surprise, but a massive honor uh, to be acknowledged for our work on Operation Shine the Light, which was... Um, led by our Internet uh, Crimes Against Children Task Force at the Attorney General's office. And uh, we just uh, finished another operation with FBI called Operation Cross Country. And so to be included in those operations is uh, truly an honor. And we want to make sure that we're doing the other, our partner agencies uh, justice every time that we participate. And um, it's so humbling that, to know that there's so many agencies that want to support this cause, and they want to make sure that we're recovering missing and exploited children um, as as much as we can. The it, recent operation that you spoke of uh, did become uh, newsworthy to the media as well, and and obviously very successful because yeah. uh, again more uh, you know potential victims were saved. Correct. Yeah. Maybe again, can you provide a little bit more detail on that operation? Well, it wasn't. It, it was in the news. Yeah. Um, okay. So you know, a total of of twelve children were recovered, uh, two on the Big Island and ten on Oahu, during the operation. It was a nationwide operation led by FBI, but the local field office here, uh, FBI Honolulu, Honolulu Police Department, our office, Child Welfare Services, Susanna Wesley, uh, Honolulu Prosecutor's Office. Uh, and the Secret Service, we just joined forces and uh, we wanted to do uh, our Hawaii edition of that national operation. And again, I'm surprised uh, how many children were recovered uh, it, it, in a very short amount of time. And it was just truly incredible to, to see the agencies working together, state, local, you know, state, county, federal, with one mission and everything else goes to the side and we're all coming together and we prioritize this. So we are truly grateful that um, the agencies uh, help to recover our, our kids. These are our uh, reported missing kids. And uh, yeah, the, res the results were as astounding. 
and, and life-changing, for hopefully, for, for many families. You know, thank you to you and Kalei for your great work. Uh, oh, hello, and thank yeah. you for, you know, I hate the word collaboration, but collaborating with yeah. all of our four county uh, police departments, clearly the FBI and, and Secret Service and everybody, the welfare system, the social workers. Yeah. It's, it's, it's will take a community to mm -hmm. address this very, very important issue uh, that is still a very part, part of who we are. And um, when you re remember the Jizao Lees of, of the world and recently mm -hmm. Isabella Kalua and, and uh, Kitana Ancog and, and there are many others, um, yeah. we are reminded of how fragile yeah. our children still are and how uh, important it is for community to understand working together. Absolutely, and we want the community to know that we're here and that we work every single day to to combat child exploitation, child abuse. Um, even though they may not, you know, hear about it all the time, we are every single day. We're working with our partners, and those partnerships. Uh, that is the secret to the success: is the partnerships. Mm -hmm. We could never do that alone. Two people at the AG's office. It really requires. Uh, a community of law enforcement, a community of social services and service providers uh, working together and just figuring out what our strengths are and, and really putting that together. Yeah, that's, that's the secret. And that's, that's comforting to know that mm -hmm. that many people are, are doing this at one time, mm -hmm. even, with, even if we don't see it. Right. We recognize the good work. Thank you very much, Amanda, for stopping by. I appreciate it. You know, not one of those topics that you know, it's the Baropihi, Manapua, uh, but you know what, our keiki are so very important. And anything involving children, people get pretty fired up about, and there's a reason. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, we do, we do appreciate the passion, mm -hmm. and I really appreciate you uh, talking to me today and, and your, having your audience listen to these issues. It's so important. We're so grateful to be here. If you know something, say something. Yes. Please. Mahalo Nui for joining us, folks. Join us next week for another episode of What School You Went. Until then, ahuiu. What School You Went is a PBS Hawaii production. Music by Taimane Gardner. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell your friends. You can find us on pbshawaii.org and everywhere you get your podcasts.